TalkZone.com. Now, TalkZone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joe Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. And welcome to Two Guys and a Mike here on the TalkZone.com. Jordan Burnfield joining the coach here with a little sports talk via the internet. It's a Tuesday. Feels like a Monday to me, JB, because I was uh, out of town a little bit long weekend. So uh, got that feeling to it. First of all, I want to thank you for uh, sitting in. You did a three-day extravaganza, right? Thursday, Friday, last week. I did. And then I did yesterday. And mm-hmm. it feels like a Tuesday to me, to me because I was here yesterday. And I now feel this is your show, but I feel like I'm I'm basically a regular here now. You are becoming a part of the very fabric. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you are becoming probably a probably a bad thing. Probably, you know, I don't I can't promise you greatness on this show, but Jordan will uh, do the best to drag you along through the muck and mire that me and the big dog <laughs> typically sledge ourselves through. I apologize if we do it. You are a young up and coming professional. The last thing I would want to do is step on a potentially. Uh, prospering career well i appreciate that we'll see how it goes but certainly it's been fun to come in here i mean it's you know i I love the studios in here and certainly i love getting to work with you guys and getting a chance to uh lead the show by myself for a couple days hopefully those of you out there enjoyed the show and if you didn't then lucky for you coach is back so (laughs) coach and the big dog will be uh will be back on for the for the you know the next few days, few weeks, what have you. No one ever knows really what the big dog is up to, but hopefully he will be making his way towards these airwaves in the next few days. But it's been very fun to come in. We do love the big dog. He at times is a stray dog, and we never quite know where he is. Talking about our co-host, Joel Radwanski, will not be in tomorrow, but hopefully going to be here Thursday and Friday for our final four preview shows. I actually told, I I said on the air yesterday Mm -hmm. that if if you took uh, maybe a list of daily activities that somebody did, and you didn't put a name to who was doing them, and you took like a man in Singapore, and you took a man in Canada, and you took a man in California, and you took a man in Eastern Europe, and you looked all over the world and looked at the daily list of activities, and then you told me that Joel Radwanski could have accomplished the same things in that one day, I would believe you, no matter who it was, no matter where it was, (laughs) the man has life experiences that none of us can compete with. (laughs) Sadly, that's true. I think I'd agree with you in all countries except Singapore. I don't know if I'll go that far. Not not Singapore? Singapore holds a special place in my heart, but that's for another day. <laughs> yeah. But we love the big dog. But uh, more importantly, we got uh, the big dog, uh, uh, JB, Jordan Burnfield, and myself today. And uh, you, the listener, invited to call in, check in via the uh, phone lines. You can do that at 888-463-6748. You can also join us via the email at Mike Two Guys. That's Mike as in microphone. So M-I-C in the number two, Mike. Two guys at AOL.com on the docket for today. We definitely have some Final Four talk. We'll review the uh, four big games over the weekend, four tough losers, and four teams advance to Indianapolis uh, Saturday. We get a little break in the action now until the basketball recontinues, although I shouldn't say that because tonight, Jordan, you've got a couple of more women's games as the women's teams also vie for the Final Four. We also got a big 
NBA game here in the city of Chicago. So a break from the men's college basketball, but hoops continues, of course. It does, and, you know, I I tried to get into the women's tournament. Mm-hmm. I have. I've, I've honestly made an effort. I've watched a couple of the games. My well, biggest. I'm sure the women are thrilled with you for making that. Effort. I, I know they are. Yeah, don't don't knock yourself um, out, Singapore boy. Yeah. Uh, but what I would say is that it, in the men's tournament, you have every game is so. I mean, the, the, I guess the biggest problem for me is a the men's tournament has been amazing. So when the women's tournament games, they can't. It's almost too hard for them to live up to what the men's tournament has been. It's kind of unfair for them, but it is what it is. The second thing is is that in the men's tournament, Coach, and especially this year, every game you watch, you feel like no matter what the seeding is, you can throw it out because the two teams are going to play a great game that goes down to the wire and it's going to be a compelling basketball game. In the women's tournament, you don't really get that that often, and the top seed usually wins. Now, I know that there have been a couple of upsets in the women's tournament, but for the most part, the top seeds win. And furthermore, it kind of it, it cheapens it a little bit when Connecticut is so far and away the best team and is just blowing everybody out and is just it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to win that it kind of takes it aw- takes away a little bit of the luster for me mm-hmm. and and I'm not I'm not trying to put down women's basketball here but you know cuz I covered it this year and I and I do think that there are there are interesting games to watch but it's just not it doesn't do it for me when you know who the champion's going to be you know what I mean mm-hmm. if if you knew who the champion was going to be in the men's tournament all the way through there was one team, let's say Duke, for example, was just pummeling everyone. They were 36-0 and or whatever it is. It would lose some of the luster because you wouldn't feel like the suspense would be all gone. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I think has happened in the women's tournament. And furthermore, Gina Oriema, I don't know if you saw this when you were out of town, said last week that that maybe the, the fundamental problem with women's college basketball, and he's completely right about this, is that most of the teams don't really try to win. You know what I mean? They don't put the money, they don't put the resources into their program because it's not a money-making sport. And they and sure, would they like to win? Sure. Do they hope they win? Sure. But they're not really trying to win every year. And therefore, the teams that do try to win, like Connecticut, like Tennessee, like Notre Dame, like some of these top women's college basketball programs, they're the same. They're the same teams in the final four, or the final eight, every single mm-hmm. year because they're the only ones that try. So the women's tournament, to me. I know it's a television event, but it's not as interesting because I know who's going to be in it every year. It's the same teams pretty much every year. And Connecticut or Tennessee is going to win every year. And this year, Connecticut is so far and away better than everybody else that it takes away from me. This year. Yeah. That has not been typical. Not every year. They've been favored in other years. This year they are the, the king of the mountains, prohibitive favored and Maybe the queen of the mountain. Yeah, the queen of the mountain. Thank you very much. Make sure we get the right gender. But you know, often we've talked on the men's side, Jordan, where, oh, this league, this particular league is not so great anymore. This particular tournament is not so great because we don't have that great team that everybody's shooting for. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. It's a little well, bit of a catch-22. You could turn it the other way and say, hey, you've got that dominant team. You've got that, that aura of Connecticut. Which makes the tournament so cool, you know, on the men's side, you know, in professional sports, whatever you want to call it, the New York Yankees, the Boston Celtics, in college basketball, used to be UCLA. So you could look at it from that standpoint and say you've got the, the dominant team and, and, and potentially, by the way, new dominant players, too. Right. You, you could be right. But the, the only thing that I say to that, and I think that that's a completely valid point, is that Connecticut has blown out everyone they've played. Yep. It's not like the games, it's not like any team 
has come close to beating yeah. them. You know what Again, I mean? Again, this year. Right, right, right. I'm saying this year. But, okay. I, but but my point is is that there would be more interest in the women's tournament if there was a team or two teams mm-hmm. over the course of the season that came really close to beating Connecticut that didn't. Because then there'd be that shadow of the doubt yep. that, hey, even though they haven't lost yet, remember what this team did or remember what this team did, it might be done again. Mm-hmm. Connecticut has not even played a competitive basketball game this year. They've won every game they've played by double-digit points. And so it's almost like to say that somebody could beat them or somebody might take them out, obviously it's possible. And if it happened, it wouldn't be the most shocking sporting event ever, but it's it's not even been tested this year. Mm-hmm. So the thought of it is far less likely than it would be on a year where maybe they had been tested. As Jordan Birdfield is uh, speaking of the women's tournament, I'm looking up at the screen on the replay of yesterday's Stanford-Xavier game to get to the Final Four. There was two yesterday, there's two today. Your comments on Connecticut are right again this year. This year. This but, year I mean, is a bit of an year, exception. But they've won 75 they in a have. row. So it's not like they didn't. They they but won every game last year, The too. dominance that you're talking about, the, the differentiation in scores is much more so this year. Yes. In previous years, they've been the best team, the team to shoot for them in Tennessee, but it's been at least within the range. They, they, they were undefeated last year, too, if I'm that. not mistaken. I understand but that. there were some close calls. Yeah. You're right. But as you're talking, I'm watching the uh, final play of the Final Four of the women's tournament where the young lady from Stanford dribbles the length of the court with 4.5 seconds, lays it up at the buzzer. They had to review it for the winning basket, and Stanford celebrates. And here's another game up on the screen. They're showing a flashback okay. from 1995. Oh, the Tyrus Yes, but I, but I was actually watching the bottom screen, which had the next rock star of college basketball mm-hmm. on screen, who is Brad Stevens of the Butler Bulldogs. He's a, Talk he, about a guy who's got the <laughs> full package. He's a good-looking young coach, 33, good, has his team in the Final Four. Good-looking if you like like 15-year-old boys. Well, I mean, he's got the he's got the very youthful look. He's he's very got youthful. he is has won more games in his first three seasons at Butler than any other coach has won in their first three seasons in any school. Mm-hmm. This guy, to me, and, and and I said this yesterday on your show, and, I, and I've said this before on the show, is that if I am Butler right now. I am. I, if I'm the athletic director, if I'm the chancellor, no, whoever's cutting that check, no, 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 go to him nope. right now, nope, and give him the extension, nope, because he'll be gone if you don't. He will be gone. And listen, you and I have talked about this before. I'm not big on extensions always, but he has taken Butler to the Final Four, mm-hmm. even if they never win the national championship under Brad Stevens. They have done this year that this is already the pinnacle for them. A Horizon League team has never been to the Final Four. If you're talking about an eight-year or ten-year extension, I would disagree. Another year or another two, I think, is good. And don't forget, I think it's not a five-year like, extension. It is not like my good friend uh, uh, that Brad Stevens has turned around the Butler program. They were very, very good under Thad Mata, who went then went to Xavier and Ohio State. I think the coach before him too, name escaping me, they dominated. Yes, I know. You're, and I, then but, but, after that was uh, Todd Licklider, who had three, four, five great years before going to Iowa. And then he had three, four, five, not so great years at Iowa, making three. Yeah, so it's not, it's not like Brad Stevens turned around the program. No. Guy's a very good young coach. Worst thing in the world they could do is to give a coach like that a long extension. Things happen. Things can go wrong. Just, hey. But here's the everything's thing. Everything's good. But here's the thing. I, I know that Butler has had a good 
run in terms of having good players, yep. but they've A, never been to the Final Four. B, they've never had the talent that they do on this team. This team has had players like Gordon Hayward mm-hmm. who have turned down scholarship offers from major programs uh, late, to though. go to Butler. Late. Kid was 6'1", 6'2". Well, he's 6'6". Six, six I now. understand. He's about 6'8". Six, eight. Six, six, eight but it's now? not yeah. like he was one of these McDonald's All-American guys who turned down all... He was under-the-radar high school kid who at the last second, the final year, started to get on the radar, and he did turn down some late Ohio States or Wisconsin's, but... Right, but Butler was never a Final Four team. I mean, this was a team that might win a game in the tournament. They were a nice story. They'd get to the tournament. Now, they are a top-ten team. They are one of the best teams in the country. They're in the Final Four. To me, if if you are Butler, regardless of the fact that you have had success with other coaches... You need to give him an extension because if you don't, he's going to leave. And you're cultivating right now the the, the pinnacle of this basketball program, mm-hmm. and it can and it can really continue to stay there if you continue to keep Brad Stevens as your coach. I'm not saying giving him one of these Chaz Weiss ten year ridiculous ridiculous extensions, but three to five years mm-hmm. give him a lot of money because he deserves it. He's brought Butler's program way more money than they ever would have expected already. Because for the next five years, you want that guy as your head coach. Because otherwise, one of these other big schools that fired their head coach is going to sweep him up. Well, he will be a young, hot commodity, and there's a couple of schools looking for co Iowa filled their position over they the did. weekend. Fran McCaffrey from Siena. Not a bad pick. We still got DePaul and Oregon, and there's about and three St. or four John's prime jobs. close St. now to hiring Steve Lavin. I don't know if you saw. Is that right? Yeah. Which would mean DePaul is not. Well, I, I guess not. I guess mm-hmm. yesterday Lavin met with St. John's and... At first, I guess it was supposed to be an informational meeting, and sources close to the meeting suggest that they had negotiations in mm-hmm. this meeting yesterday. That it went so well that they started. And Steve Lavin contract. looked in the camera and said, "I'm looking at you now, and I'm telling you, I did not have negotiations with this team." <laughs> He'll probably he have to rescind that later on. Yes, but. he did have the hair slicked back, though. Oh, he always well, looks good with yeah. the hair slicked back. Yeah. Aaron Andrews wasn't in the background, by the way, was she? I, I don't believe she was present at the meeting. Just double checking. Triple eight four six three sixty seven forty eight. Jordan, by the way, sidestepping the emotion of that phenomenal women's game, by the way. And I did want to finish out my statement by saying the women's game has almost as as many tremendous emotional exciting moments as the men's tournament i think if you give it a shot you will fall in love with it and sometimes and the players are even more emotional even more dramatic on the sidelines and uh, connecticut is an exception but connecticut's not the only team that's playing there's other great games going on tonight. it seems think, like it sometimes uh, though. it does and that's part of it's the media attention but give the women's tournament a chance they may not be quite as big they can't jump as high but it's very competitive it's great Action, it's great drama, as is the men's NCAA tournament. We'll review the uh, four games over the weekend. We do have our final four set. Uh, JB, I'm going to be interested to see what the point spreads are, but we've already talked about one. Butler knocking off uh, Kansas State. First they knocked off your Syracuse team, then they beat Kansas State, a game uh, most people thought K-State would win. And the key to that game was the Butler pretty much controlling. They did. The guards for Kansas State. They did. I think that one of the things, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Butler, but I think one of the things that helped Butler in that game against Kansas State mm-hmm. is that two nights before, Kansas State played in a, two do- in a double overtime game against Xavier that was very hard fought all the way to the end. That probably took a little bounce out of the step 
of some of the Kansas State players. But I think that Butler did the same thing to Kansas State that they did to Syracuse to knock off the top two seeds in the West mm-hmm. region. They play great defense. They slow the tempo. They control the pace of the game in both games. Mm-hmm. And it took both teams completely out of their rhythm. Syracuse had averaged 15 turnovers a, day, a game. They committed 12 turnovers in the first half against Butler. Mm-hmm. And the same kind of thing happened in the Kansas State game. Butler took Kansas State out of their tempo. They started creating turnovers that but, that the Kansas State was not accustomed to making, and all of a sudden, if Butler's going to keep you low scoring, they work the ball around, they have a slower motion offense, but they find good shots and they make them. And so they were they were just working that to a T over that week, that, that second weekend, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, by keeping Kansas State and Syracuse completely out of the rhythm mm. that they like to play. Not like they dominated Kansas State, no, by the way. The game was overtime, right? Well, yeah. Didn't yeah. it go OT? Or no, or did that game go OT? I, you know, I've seen so many games over the last two weeks, they're all kind I know, of meshing they're, in, they're, but I think it did. They're blending together. I think it did. Butler, was, it, was, it was a dramatic game right down to the end. I know the game was... Indecision. Listen, am I confusing I, with I don't another th- game? I, yeah, I think you are. I don't think it went to OT. Okay. I think it was ended in regulation. But but Butler won't dominate you. But what they will do is they'll take you out of your rhythm and beat you in a close game. And they did that in both games. The the three teams, Coach, the three top teams in points against in this NCAA tournament. Duke. Duke, West Virginia, and Butler. Mm-hmm. And three of the four, of course, mm-hmm. in the Final Four. And, and Michigan State was not far behind. And the nice thing about I think I could say for all three of the teams, less so for West Virginia, most for Butler is it's not any uh, uh, dramatically schematic defense, not any unique press where they really helter-skelter you on off. You watch Butler play defense. It's half-court, man-to-man, and they just take the principles and they got it down to a science and they execute help defense, yep. containing the dribble, boxing out, limiting second shot. Nothing fancy, JB, but they really, really play solid fundamental half court defense. Fun to watch from a coach's perspective. It's a hustle game and they and Brad Stevens deserves a ton of credit because mm-hmm. his kids are playing forty minutes of extremely tough defense. And you look at other teams in college basketball and, and as a Syracuse fan, I I know that this season Syracuse had a great year coming into that game against Butler, and then things really fell apart. They played their worst game of the season. But the reason why they had played so well is because they had played discipline for most of the year. They didn't play disciplined at all against Butler. Mm-hmm. Butler is a team, and they and it's proven in the fact that they've won 25 games in a row or whatever it is exactly. They play disciplined basketball for 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. They play at max effort, top effort. For 40 minutes, and it sounds trivial to say that, but most teams in college basketball do not give max effort for 40 minutes in a game, and they do, and that's why they're able to win these games. And 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 watching them play, I mean, this story, coach, is so unbelievable. The fact that they're they're kind of an underdog, but they're kind of not because they've been one of the best teams in the country, but they come from the Horizon League, which gets a lot of disrespect. They've played great all year. They don't necessarily have, like you said, the McDonald's All-Americans, but they have a bunch of hardworking, you know, blue-collar type players on that team. They're playing the Final Four in Indianapolis, five and a half miles from their campus. Hinkle Fieldhouse is where they played their home games. All the Hoosiers references are out. And, And the fact that for the first time ever, a Horizon League team makes the Final Four, that team gets to play it in their home city. I mean, this is one of those stories 
for why you love college basketball, mm -hmm. for why you love the NCAA tournament. They couldn't have written this better. And the question is, over the course of the week, they have uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and they, of course, won on Saturday. So you want to throw Sunday in there also. They got six days to hear these stories. Yeah. And to not only read, but watch on TV, hear from uh, kids in their class. God forbid they actually show up to class uh, today and tomorrow. The talk, you know, in the halls, <laughs> passing by each other in the quad from teachers. Everybody's going to be relaying that story. How much... Well, that six days of infusion of media hype and the whole story that you just so well related, how much will that affect the team come time to tip off? I believe the Butler game is first at 6.27 on Saturday night. I think it's Make it 5.07. There you go. Yeah, 5.07. But I, I think... Oh, the tape machine, by the way, said <laughs> I will be announcing the Wheaton-Warrenville South Volleyball Tournament Championship game. So, Well, you you enjoy that. I Thank will be you. watching the Final Four game. Really? Um, you can join me if you want. That's quite all right. Uh, but what I will say is that I, I think that it, that's, that's where it comes down to coaching. That's where it comes down to Brad Stevens making sure that his team is focused. Yep. And, and obviously... Focus but loose. Right. Focus, Fine line. Right. you got to keep them focused, but you also, if they get uh, too tense, don't listen to anything, and they get, then you're going to lose that edge, right. too. So it's... Coaching balance. You're right, but I think, but I think, I think that part of it is the players have to be, you know, the players have to take it upon themselves not to read into it too much and not to get overhyped for the game. But this is where the coaching staff has to kind of keep things in control. Like, listen, guys, I know everything has been crazy all week, but it's just a basketball game. We got to yep. go out there and play our best game, just like we yep. did. We beat Kansas State. We beat Syracuse. We beat two of the top two teams in the country. We can beat Michigan State. We just have to play the way that we've played all tournament long. And if, if he's able to keep that message, if he's able to keep those guys relaxed, I really don't see why they couldn't cut down the nets. I mean, listen, you're well, in the Final Four. you got to win two more games. They've beaten two of the top teams anyway. What's to say that they couldn't beat Michigan State and they couldn't beat West Virginia or Duke? There's no UConn women's team, that's for sure. Duke is a number one seed, but a unimposing, yeah. certainly a non-dominant number one seed in Michigan State. And uh, West Virginia, very, very good. But, yeah, it, it, it's fairly open Final Four, no question about it. 888-463-6748 if you want to check in your thoughts on the College Hoops tournament from the weekend. We're going to talk some baseball in just a little bit. Uh, you can also email us at Mike2Guys at AOL.com. Real quick before we take a break, let's go over Saturday's uh, other game very quickly. It was West Virginia upsetting Kentucky. The number one seed goes down. I think everybody's well aware now, basketball fans, West Virginia wins that game, making zero two-pointers in the first half. Yeah. Zero two-pointers in the first, and Kentucky 0 for 20 on their first three-point, their first 20 three-point attempts. Well, you so and, you put those two shooting stats together, uh, West Virginia won it fairly easy. Yeah, well, you and I talked about this during the year, Coach. We you, talked about you how... You and I, Northern Iowa, or you and I? You and I. Okay. You, it could have been you and I. Jordan Eggleseeder may have been present in the studio at some point during the season. He's an NBA player. Or or Ali Faroknamesh. Yeah. However, what I would say <laughs> is that... Ali! Yeah, uh, Ali was here. I, he was here yesterday, but he I, missed you. I'm I sorry. call him Ali Barishnikov. I could never get the Farokov. <laughs> Barishnikov. Yeah. God bless you. God bless you. Um, but I, what I will say is that, you know, we talked about it this year, Coach, that Kentucky would, could eventually get burned by their lack of three-point shooting. I know you and I talked about this at uh, some point during the year, and they finally did. Because 
West Virginia, like you said, didn't make a two-point field goal in the first half, but West Virginia is a team that can shoot the three. They've been a team that can shoot the three all year, and West Virginia typically is a school that can shoot the three well, no matter who they have there. They just are. They always seem to have guys that can shoot the three. And when you're a team like Kentucky and you're going up against a team that hits the three, you have to be able to neutralize that at some point. If you're trading threes for twos the whole game, you're not going to win. And that's really what happened, not to simplify it too much, but... You know, Kentucky could not hit a three to save its life in the last two games of the tournament. And at some point in the NCAA tournament, if you can't hit a three-point shot, you're not going to win. And that's really what happened to them. It is still amazing to think about a team And they were bad all year, though. They were bad all year at shooting threes. But I'm talking about West Virginia winning a game, winning a game against a number one seat. Yeah. And they did not make a single two-point basket in the first half. Yeah. By the way, the one thing I will say, too, about West Virginia is that thank God Huggy Bear did not win, wear that gold suit that he wore the last time. <laughs> I, I, there, if you search Bob Huggins on Google... Huggy Bear's put on a few pounds, he has, by the way. He has. He's, the old jowls are starting to uh, extend it. They are, but on the hugger. he used to wear this gold suit, yeah. and it looked so hideous... And because he never wears a tie. Well, you remember with the Cincinnati Bearcats, he would wear some of the. You know, that's where he started wearing those outfits. Yeah, but this kind gold, of the warm-up suit. This gold suit is hideous, and I'm glad that he did not wear it <laughs> in this elite game because it's honestly it it distracts you from watching the game. Mm-hmm. It's beaming out at you from the television, and in HD, it's like the sun is beaming out of the television at you. And I, I I have to turn my head away from this suit. So thank you, Huggy, for not wearing it. All right. West Virginia moves on. And Bob Huggins or any of the West Virginia faithful, if you're listening to the show, for the final four on Saturday, just for Jordan's sake, bring out the gold stuff. <laughs> No gold. Bring out the gold for the big game. Come on. All right. We'll talk about the other two games. And I don't know about where you are listening to this program, but uh, here in Chicago, we're getting a little early spring fever. It's 60-plus degrees today, and baseball fever is starting to hit. We'll talk a little baseball, too, before this show winds up. Two guys and a mic. TalkZone.com, back in 38.5 seconds. are open for your calls on two guys and a mic call 888 go for it once again here's the coach john cone and his trusty uh, sidekick uh, jordan burnfield jb in the house sitting in for the big dog today and of course jb coast uh, co-hosted 
not co-hosted, solo hosted the last three shows here on Two Guys and a Mic, and we much appreciate that. Again, our phone number here if you want to check in, 888-463-6748. Kind of doing a quick review of the final four games from over the weekend, the Elite A games, if you will. Uh, I happen to be down in St. Louis, Jordan, uh, lucky enough, first time ever to attend NCAA tournament basketball, brought the family down there and a couple other families, kind of a mini little spring break, long vacation, and uh, we got to see uh, great games. Great game. The Tennessee-Ohio State game on Friday, which yeah. is a classic. I unfortunately Woo. did not get to watch it. I listened in the car. I was coming mm-hmm. home from work. But let me just say this. before It's totally unrelated to the game. Well, sort of related to the game. Kevin Harlan on radio. <laughs> that guy is unbelievable. He is an unbelievable broadcaster. I mean, as somebody who does play-by-play myself, mm-hmm. I listened to him in the car, and I thought, if I'm ever half as good as this guy, I'm going to make a lot of money in mm-hmm. my career. This guy is incredible at radio play-by-play i am in my car like literally gripping the steering wheel waiting for his descriptions of every play and and having seen the highlights now to have the visual pictures that Mm -hmm. go along with the audio he was fantastic but i was surprised by that game that was i and and this is nothing against bruce pearl i think he's he's an excellent coach obviously he's done a really good job with the tennessee program but i just sort of felt like and and i feel like this is true in the tournament in the tournament, when you have the best player on the floor or maybe one of the two best players in college basketball on the floor, I feel like in a game like that, that's usually where that best player in the country is going to just will his team to a victory. And I'm not saying that Evan Turner didn't do that. He did play pretty well in that game, but he did miss a big shot down the stretch, which lost them the game. And so I was surprised by the fact that Ohio State got taken out there because I thought that, I mean, listen, there have been a ton of upsets. There have been a ton of uh, surprising finishes in the NCAA tournament. That's why I would argue it's maybe been the best that I've ever seen. But I, I think that that was one of the games that I really thought, wow, wow, I, I'm surprised that Tennessee won that game. The fact that you have a star player at times can be a double-edged sword. And watching the game in person, the difference was, particularly in the second half, Tennessee played team basketball in Ohio State, which normally they've got the star Evan Turner, but they work the ball around and get everybody involved. Right, it became and Lighty and Lauderdale. And, and William Buford. And William Buford, Very, yeah. very talented William Buford as well. He was the guy who was hot in the first half. Yep. And what happened was Evan Turner tried to take over the game in the second half. The ball was in his hands too much, and it became their, their downfall. Tennessee, you could just count every possession, four or five passes, got the ball inside and scored Ohio State. It would be Turner, 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 shoot. Or Turner, 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 shot clock down to seven seconds, kick it out, William Buford trying to shoot. Diebler was a non-factor, and David Lighty maybe a couple, but the team aspect, I think, was the difference. Ohio State got, like I said, star player, double-edged sword. Yeah, and and you know what? And Tennessee deserves a ton of credit. To get to the Elite Eight was great for them. The one thing I would say, though, for Tennessee is that, you know, it's, it's sort of one of those, I'm not a Bruce Pearl fan. I root against him. I just don't think he's a good guy, but and just everything that I've heard about him from people that would know would suggest that he's not such a good guy, so I don't really root for Tennessee. But they're in such a unique situation because of how good their women's basketball program is mm-hmm. that for them to get the Elite Eight, I think it's really, it really was important for them to win and get to the Final Four because their men's basketball program gets overshadowed often by their women's program, which is really a situation that can only really be matched by Connecticut, and even mm-hmm. Connecticut – 
as good as their women's program is, I wouldn't say that their men's program ever really gets overshadowed because their men's program is just as good for the most of the time. So I think that Tennessee normally is that school that kind of has to do this well to get themselves over the hump of, of what Pat Summit has done tremendously with the women's program. And, and by not winning in the Elite Eight as well as they played, I sort of feel like that's not good enough at Tennessee because when you see what the women's team always does – if you're the team that doesn't get to the Final Four, by comparison, it doesn't look as good. So, well, overall, I think for the basketball, it's a very successful season getting to the it uh, is. It is. finally. The volunteer fans, by the way, of the four fandoms that were there, Northern Iowa, Ohio State, the Michigan State, and Tennessee, by far the coolest, most vocal, most uh, avid of the fans was the Tennessee volunteer fans. Yeah. When the band goes into the whole Rocky Tonk thing. And the, and the fans start getting into it. I mean, there was more orange all over. Northern Iowa brought a great crowd. Yeah. Not an easy trip for Northern Iowa to St. Louis. Michigan State fans were much more, uh, you know, been there, done that. It was, Lucas, it, was a, it was a business trip for the Michigan State fans. Did the UNI fans wear any uh, Elvis mutton chops for Lucas O'Rear? No, but there was a few T-shirts that said, Fear the Chops. And then on the back, 32, O'Rear. Nice. <laughs> Fear the job. That's a great shirt. I want to buy one of those shirts. <laughs> oh, that guy was outstanding. I was rooting for Northern Iowa. So was and, I. Uh, you know, they played very, very well, too. But it was cool. So Edward A. Jones Dome, very nice. St. Louis, by the way, the city of St. Louis. Not that I've turned into a Cardinals fan or a Rams fan, but great city. You can't. If you turn Cardinals on me, no. we're going to have a problem. No, I have nothing. I, I, you know, I respect as a baseball aficionado. I may be a Cub fan, but I... I uh, Appreciate St. Louis Cardinal baseball. I can respect that they're good. Yeah, I, don't, I don't like them. Well, I, I will don't, never I, like them. I don't necessarily root against them. Oh, God. Hate the Cardinals. <laughs> Hate well, the Cardinals. Listen, they get the credit. Mm-hmm. They win. Fine. They're a, good, they're a good baseball team. They're a great franchise. I get all that. Despise them. As a Cub fan, yeah. they make me sick. I know what they are. I respect them for what they are. But I will never, ever root for the Cardinals mm-hmm. unless the Cardinals are in fifth place and the Cubs are battling for first, and they're playing the second-place second team. Let's then see. I'll root for the Cardinals. That is the wisdom of maturity that I have developed over the years. I or, may have felt or, or that way. Or just the wisdom of senility. I mean, yeah. that, that could be it as well. There's a fine line between the two. I'm also a Chicago <laughs> Bear fan who uh, I do not hate the Green Bay Packers. In fact, uh, often I will root for them if the Bears are out of it. I've always appreciated the city of Green Bay. It's their only pro sports franchise, a pro team that is owned by the, theoretically anyway, by the people of the city. Uh, there's something very unique, great tradition of the Green Bay Packers. As long as they're not playing the Bears, Ugh. and as long as Forrest Gregg isn't coaching them, Ugh. I have no problem with the Green Bay Packers. Ugh. The Packers. <laughs> How can you root for the Packers? And like this is this is like so anti-Chicago of you right now. Again, the wisdom You're, of maturity. No, not wisdom. Which I agree is tottering very gently on the wisdom of senility. There's yes. a fine line. I think I think that you passed over the line, yeah. and you can't. <laughs> You can't root for and In my opinion, listen, you can respect any opponent. Mm-hmm. That's fine. If you're a Cubs fan and a, and, a, and a Bears fan, you can't root for the Packers and you can't root for the Cardinals. Just can't be done. Right. For co-hosting the last three days, by the way, I'm going to find a way to, <laughs> to get you a Fear the Chops shirt with O'Rear oh, 32 on the back. How great. I, I just will. When they showed, uh, you were at the game, so you didn't see it, but they had on the television, they put a... A I split screen that. picture yes. of O'Rear and Elvis. <laughs> yes. How great was that? <laughs> he is the classic Northern Iowa player, a guy who really should be playing uh, high level intramurals. Yeah. Well, you at know, the University of, he'd be like at Indiana or Ohio State or Illinois. You know how they have like the A fraternity league? Yeah. 
which is pretty competitive. That is pretty good. Yeah. That's theoretically where Lucas O'Reilly should be playing. You know, I actually thought that the that the more appropriate UNI player was Jordan Eggleseeder. Yeah. Here's a kind of sloppy, six foot eight, kind of fat. Six foot eight. Six foot six. <laughs> taller. Six ten. Oh, yeah. Big. Okay, fine. Six ten. Sloppy. A little bit fat. Doesn't have a basketball body. Kind of jiggling around out there. The blonde hair. Looks like he came out of the Field of Dreams cornfields. I mean, this is a guy who really was an effective, good player, but it's sort of like James Ayers at Milwaukee. You look at him and you're like, how the hell is this guy playing Division One college basketball? But they're both good players. <laughs> I'm, I'm like a, James I'm, Ayers, to me, looks like he I don't should, know who James Ayers is. He's this big, fat, six foot seven, what team? 310-pound forward for Milwaukee, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Okay. And he looks like... He should be taking orders at Steak and Shake. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just this big, yeah. burly. But a lot of times those big guys have the soft touch inside. And he was a three-point shooter. Well, that's. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine a six-foot-seven, three hundred and ten-pound kid jacking up threes? Mm-hmm. But he was, and he was good at it. Well, how about Jordan? How do you pronounce it? Eggleseeder. God bless you. Yeah. Eggleseeder, who had one three-pointer the whole season, and in the game to get to the Sweet Sixteen, he hits two, in one half. Yeah. And he hit one all season, and we were driving them. Um, down to St. Louis, the kids in the back playing their little, you know, do, 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 yeah. whatever sport. And apparently, uh, after one of the games, my son tells me, hey, Peter, uh, Peter's playing a game. Jordan, how do you pronounce his last name? Eggleseeder. Eggleseeder just scored 53 points. So nobody <laughs> knew who this guy was, and now he's on the little PS, on the, PSP game scoring 53 points. You know what? That's that's the great thing the, about those PSP the, games. You can always rig it. I mean, I used to March create, Madness makes new heroes. I used to create myself and play as myself, uh-huh. and I put myself on Syracuse, or when I was younger, I put myself on Illinois, mm-hmm. and I would always have a ridiculous game. Like, my season averages were <laughs> 28 points a game, 11 assists, and 10 rebounds. Mm-hmm. I was averaging a triple-double, because I would just bring the ball up every time, and when I wanted to score, I'd score. When I wanted to rebound, I'd miss and get my own rebound, mm-hmm. Ricky Davis style. And when I wanted to get an assist, I'd just make sure I passed to a guy underneath. Does it have a little camera, too, that can take a picture of yourself and actually superimpose it onto the screen? I wish that it could, but it okay. didn't at the time. It probably okay. does it now. It probably got something like that now. Yeah. I bet yeah. you could do that now. How I cool couldn't in my game. Oh, I could enter the Chicago Bulls lineup, get a pass <laughs> from Kirk Heinrich, and look for a weak side lob to Lou Aldang. And you can have Kirk Heinrich make virtual bricks on your game as well. <laughs> Take it easy. Take it easy. All right, just to wrap up of that particular Elite Eight out of St. Louis, uh, we've talked about Northern Iowa and Tennessee. We Almost took for granted the fact that Michigan State is the team that advanced. They are absolutely amazing. Tom Izzo, again, doing a great coaching He's job. incredible. Yeah, and that program, uh, you know, nothing uh, super fancy, but somehow they survived and they advanced right through the tournament, and they're in the Final Four with a team you would not think very likely. One stat, six Final Fours in the last 11 years. Since 99. I just think about that. I mean, that to me, I, I mean, a lot of people say, when you ask a lot of people who the best coaches in college basketball are, I feel like sometimes Tom Izzo does not get the due that he deserves. I mean, most of the time people will immediate say, immediately say Coach K, Roy Williams, and they look at you know the, the Dukes and the Carolinas. To me, Tom Izzo, I know he's only won one national championship with the Mateen Cleaves Michigan State team, mm-hmm. but, I mean, this guy every year has taken that team. I would not want any other coach in the NCAA tournament than Tom Izzo. Mm-hmm. Give me anyone else. This man is an absolute genius when it comes to coaching in the tournament, whether they're a five seed, whether they're a one seed, whether they're a six seed. It doesn't matter. Every year, 
they succeed in the NCAA tournament, and it's almost now getting to the point where if you're making your bracket, you should put Michigan State in the Final Four every single year no matter what because percentage-wise you have a fairly high opportunity to be right. It's just they are amazing. He is amazing. He deserves a, a boatload of credit. They lose Caitlin Lucas. It doesn't even matter. They still go to the Final Four. Morgan and Lucius and all these guys are playing great. It's just it's I marvel at him. Like I honestly I marvel at him. I find him to be just an absolute genius of basketball. And don't coach. forget the other guy, uh uh Kalen Lucas's you know, was um the Lone Ranger, his tanto during the season was Chris Allen. Yeah. Who was their number Not two to be scorer, confused Chris with Allen. The, uh, American Idol singer Chris Allen. No. <laughs> but he was their you know, second or third scoring threat during the year. He got suspended for a couple of games. Yeah. He's come back battling an injury coming off the bench now. So arguably two of their top three offensive threats during the regular season are out and they still find a way to get to the final four, no question about it. And I always say that uh, one of the signs of greatness or the number one sign of greatness is is not just that one or two great years. This applies to individual players as well as individual teams and coaches, but a high level of success consistently over a number of years. And that's what he's done. He's yep. the model of consistency. Yep. I mean, as great as as great of a coach as Mike Krzyzewski is, mm-hmm. and I'm not taking anything away from him, this year's Final Four is his first since 2004. The great Dukies did not make a Final Four in six years. Yeah, but in Shashevsky's defense, the Duke program has not had a down year like no. North Carolina had. They have been consistently, even in their worst years, they're still at the worst. They're still in the tournament. Real good. They're still in the yeah. tournament. They so, had a couple of years so, where they were borderline for the tournament, but they still made the tournament every yeah, year. But to me, that's the sign of greatness, keeping a team. And I don't think we here, sitting behind the microphone, fans reading the newspaper, watching on TV, we realize how hard that is to do, I think to stay at the top for that many years. You're absolutely right. But my point is, is we're talking about the greatest of great in terms of coaching. Okay, mm-hmm. Mike Krzyzewski is one of the greatest of great, which is undeniable. He's won three national championships. They've been to countless Final Fours. The resume speaks for itself. But even the greatest of great in Mike Krzyzewski had not been to the Final Four in six years prior to this. Tom Izzo has been to the Final Four every other year for the last 11 years. A lot years. of its luck. I mean, is, but to, to get to the Final Four, I mean, if, if Corey Lucius doesn't hit that shot, the, the MVP of the tournament, by the way, is the kid who ducked his head as the ball was being reversed to Corey Lucius for the game-winning shot. Who did they knock off in that game? Um, God, no, I can't watch so many it. games. I, they're, they're all you know the play together. I'm talking yes, about, right? I mean, yes, the, yes. the unbelievable shot to win the game. If that kid doesn't duck his head, or if Corey Lucius doesn't make the shot at the buzzer, Michigan State's not in it. Maybe we're talking about. So don't. Okay, but 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 luck I, does play a big part. It, of it does, but I would say that when when you've made six of eleven, it's 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 far less lucky anymore. You know what I mean? It's it is true. just a it's a it's a fact of. Just being a really well coached and really good team, and I think that in the in the defense of Tom Izzo, I mean, not that not that anybody's taken him down, but this guy to to get them to win two games more in the NCAA tournament without their best player. I mean, think about that level of coaching, and think about how he was able to keep his team focused and keep his team believing in itself. In college basketball, injuries are crippling; they're crippling. I mean, you saw what happened to Syracuse without Onawaku. They won the first two games, then they got dismantled. I mean, it's just Tom Izzo has been able to, with an injury, which is catastrophic for a lot of teams in college basketball because these kids are not used to not having everybody that they know on the floor. It's it's almost like Caelan Lucas, as good of a player as it is, 
it's almost like he doesn't even matter. I mean, that's how well that they've played. It's like they have not missed a beat without their best player. Mm-hmm. That, to me, shows just furthermore how great Tom Izzo really is. Ah, Michigan State advancing out of their uh, region, the Midwest region. Final game to talk about was Duke taking on Baylor. Duke is in the Final Four. Baylor put up a heck of a fight. Great game. Baylor... Uh, Street tough, Jordan Burnfield. Very tough, very physical. They play with a reckless abandon. And Some of the best names in college basketball on that team, too. I guarantee there's a lot of babies being born the last couple of weeks who are being named Lace Darius. Uh, there could be some Lace Darius. Or Tweety. Tweety or, or, or Quincy AC. Quincy AC or Ekpe Udo. How do yes, you pronounce it? Yes, I think it's Ekpe Udo. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's but right. A very, very talented team. They took the fight to Duke. They really yeah. did. In the first half and the first ten minutes of the second half, they took the street fight to Duke. Street fight is not Duke's strength. But Duke, but, but Duke came back with the street fight in the second half. They did, and to Duke's credit, even more impressive than when they pulled away, to me. They did pull away. The final field was the way they hung in in the first 30 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, even though Baylor was really playing hard and physical and tough and getting after the guard, Duke maintained their composure and um, didn't fold. No. I they, thought that was the key to the game. I mean, if you when you think about how many second-chance points they got late, I mean, the rebounding that they had, the the ability to get second chances. I mean, when you saw the three come in from the corner from Singler and then Lance Thomas leaping up above two Baylor players and dunking the ball back in. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times, listen, I don't hate Duke. Most people do. I like Duke personally. I've always liked Duke. I've always rooted for Duke when my team is out. I might be in the minority there except for people that went to Duke. But a lot of people always cast Duke as this soft team that doesn't, that doesn't have the physical toughness. I got news for you. If you watch that game against Baylor, and and we agree on this, they are tough. Okay, I think a lot of times people stereotype Duke, fair or not, for being this you know rich, arrogant white kid school, and they're not tough, and they're not this, and they're not that. You can say whatever you want about teams in the past. This year's Duke team is not a typical Duke team. They are physical. They can play physical. They can play whatever style you want, and they're very disciplined, and they are very dangerous. And some people have tried to discredit them by saying that, well, they had the easiest road to the Final Four. I got news for you. They beat Baylor in Houston where every single person in that Reliant Stadium was rooting against them. That Mm -hmm. is a team that is resilient and would not surprise me, obviously, if they cut down the nets. And a Baylor team, by the way, that absolutely smushed absolutely obliterated what I thought would be the Cinderella team of the tournament, St. Mary's. Yeah. Because I watched the St. Mary's team play. Yeah. Their first two games, and I'm sitting, these guys aren't Cinderella. Yeah. I mean, they are really, really good. And I didn't get to see that game because I was in seat watching Tennessee, Ohio State. Or it might have been the game after. And they show the score on the, you know, the halftime score, 46 to 19. Oh, it was a dismantle. Like, they killed them. So it was a very good Baylor team. And Duke, uh, very deserved of their number one seed. And I guess they would be the... Slight fair. You got Duke taking on West Virginia. I'm going to guess the point spread there. Duke two, two and a half. Yeah, I, I would think it can't be much more than a bucket. Yeah, and I, it might, I, if West Virginia had not lost their starting point guard, it might be even. Yeah, and yeah. then you got Michigan State and Butler. Yep, that, which means State. that a five seed will reach the national championship. Game. Yes. Which is of course appropriate yeah. at this tournament. I have not. I don't even know if the point spread is out. I'm going to say. Whew, Tough one. Michigan State, maybe point and a half. I don't know. I mean, it's on. But it's basically Butler's home game. I mean, Butler's a home. But home how many? Team. But, but how many times do they play on that court? 
It doesn't matter. I mean, well, it's going it to be matter. Well, to me it doesn't because it's going to be all Butler fans. It's going to feel well, like it's the final four. It is, but it's going to feel gonna... like a home game for Butler, I think. They're playing in Indianapolis. They can drive from their dorms to well, the but game. But aren't, aren't the final four seats sold out already? They might be, but I, I think that there's going to be all the scalp tickets are going to be going to Butler fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just feel like I it's going to be a really... If it was on their home floor and they're used to playing on those baskets, yeah, but this is on a floor that maybe played on a couple times. You're talking about a Michigan State team that has been there, done that. They just got through playing in the Edward A. Jones Dome, That's where true. their crowd was the, the least of the four. Listen, there are even games. I'm just saying that I would think that, if anything, I would maybe favor... If I were making the spread, I might favor Butler okay. by a point and a half. All right. Uh, listen... Michigan State, what we just got talking about, I just got done saying that I think Tom Izzo is the greatest thing since sliced bread, probably greater. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, I think Michigan State could take them down. They could maybe dismantle Butler mm-hmm. in Indianapolis. All I'm saying, though, is that with Butler being basically at home, in basically, they are at home. I mean, they're playing in their home city. I would think that that should give a slight edge to the Bulldogs. All right, there's your Final Four recap from over the weekend. Folks, again, you want to... Uh, Check in. We still got a few minutes left. Triple eight four six three six seven four eight. The phone number. We're going to switch real quick to some baseball. Got to get a little spring fever going, JB. I'm glad. Uh, you can also email us at mike two guys at aol dot com. That's M I C and the number two. We have not mentioned today. He's become a stalwart here. We don't want to take it for granted. Our fine producer David Olson back in the saddle. I'm assuming Jordan. While I was gone, that uh, Mr. Olson and his many associates. And as many female interns took a good care of you. David Olson's fantastic. Yes. He, is. he does a great, great job. I mean, and it's and it's very easy. I just come in. I don't have anything to worry about. It's all taken care of. He's you don't great. want to take a shot at him here? It's a good, I, I, good I chance. I don't, need, fr- to, I don't need to take a shot. Come I on. really don't. I, no. I, I'm a fan of David Olson's work. No okay. shots. And he'll, he'll, I'll probably make fun of him yeah. later, so I'm buttering yeah. him up now. Okay, I was going to say that it'll be up to me to take shots at uh, <laughs> D. Olson, but he is there uh, on the other side of the glass. We much appreciate that. Of course, we do this show every Monday through Friday, 10 in the morning till 11 Central Time. Please join us if you enjoy it somewhat. Uh, tell a friend. We're trying to build up the listening audience to this fine show. Don't forget, too, we are webcasting. Any one of the four cameras could be on you. I also heard they've installed a camera in the ground, so... uh don't scratch yourself at an inappropriate time. I, Five I cameras keeping an eye on you, Jordan. Yeah, I'm not sure about the ground cam, but I'm I'm going to step on it if there is one. Yeah, I think I just, <laughs> Coach, I think just smashed it. Thank you very ground much. Cam. Yeah. And I just want to add in the near future, uh, oh. video podcasts will be available as how, well. How wow. is that different than webcasting? Well, no, no, no. You've got, you've got the audio podcasts, but in, uh, in the near future, listeners will also have the ability to watch video podcasts so they can watch I'm, I'm us confused. do the show i thought they're watching us now yeah but when... yeah they can they can watch the show live but uh when they play back the audio archives oh. it's just audio so they're going to be okay. video archives so, as well okay so think about it coach so if you scratch yourself not only yes. will it be seen live but anyone can access it at any time there wow. you go yeah <laughs> So, <laughs> could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. Huh? I'm, I'm going to have to wear a bag over my head for the rest okay. of these shows that I do in here. I think I just nailed ground cam again. <laughs> it's wandering around here somewhere. I'm going to nail that thing before the show's over. <laughs> yeah. All right, very quickly, uh, baseball. Yes. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm totally wrapped up in the whole basketball thing. Like you said, it might have been the best March Madness ever, but it's creeping into my epidermis, Jordan Birdfield. The baseball fever, the smell of the leather mitt. I got the uh, little oil coming out. Loosening up the mid a little bit, got the Ron Santo 360 out, getting ready for a little baseball, Cubs, White Sox, whatever city you are in, you're getting excited about your baseball too. Opening day is next weekend? Monday, April next 5th. 
Monday, April 5th. Ooh, same day as the national championship game. Yes. So the Cubs game is at, I want to say, uh, 3-10 or 4 it's some but, they, Isn't there usually like one game that opens up the season? Well, or there is. That... is. The Sunday night opener okay. is Yankees-Red Sox okay. because, God forbid, ESPN didn't televise Yankees-Red Sox. <laughs> Tired of Yankees-Red Sox. Yes, that's going to open the season on Sunday night, April 4th. Mm-hmm. Then April 5th is the official opening day for the rest cool. of Major League Baseball. The White Sox, I believe, are playing at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, on opening Sox night. Sox are home, Cubs on the road, I believe. Yes, and uh, the the uh, Cubs are playing in Atlanta to begin the season. Wow. Which is going to be a tough test right off the bat. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, this Braves team, Coach, I think is going to be really good. And so I think the Cubs will be tested certainly in their in their first games. But I am I am thrilled. I mean, for me, I love I love I love college hoops, and it's it's my second favorite sport. I love football. I love you know, I love all sorts of sports. I love hockey, whatever. But baseball, for me, is the number one, and I am thrilled about baseball season coming. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when you see the – I don't know if you're like me, but when you see the spring training games on TV, it's I so – I don't it's, watch spring training right, games on TV, it's so such I'm a not tease. like you. So I don't really watch it because even though it's on, it's like it's like boring, bad baseball where they're not trying real hard and, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to get looks at – Number 79, who's never going to make the team and all that sort of thing. So it's such a tease. And so when that first game comes on and they're playing in their real ballparks and the real guys are out in the field, there is nothing. Uh, opening day is like a holiday to me. And, and, and Monday is going to be an incredible day because you've got opening day baseball. You've got Tiger Woods' BS press conference where he's going to say nothing. And then you've got the national championship of college basketball. Think about what an awesome day the fifth of April is going to be. Well, two out of three is not bad. Yeah. Well, not sure you can quite put the Tiger Woods pre-Augusta uh, press conference in with opening day of baseball in the well, NCAA Well, no, I'm just saying in terms of the buzz around sports yeah. that day is going to be outrageous. Mm-hmm. I wish Tiger wasn't having it. I, I said on the show last week when I was when I was sitting in solo that I think it's selfish that Tiger Woods is trying to upstage the college basketball championship and mm-hmm. opening day of baseball. But Tiger Woods just doesn't care about anybody except himself, so that doesn't really surprise me. But I would say that you know, it, baseball opening day can never be overshadowed by me. I'm going to be mm-hmm. watching it. I'm in. I'm locked in on every game they've got. I'm going to make you really jealous. Four o'clock today. Four o'clock today. If you're not doing anything, JB, you feel free to join me. I will be out at the uh, batting cages, outdoor batting cages. Nice. Pitching a little BP to the Pony League team. First swings of the season. Nice. Uh, you know, I've got a By game By the way, tonight, I don't pitch actually. anymore to those kids unless i got a screen in front of me. Yeah, well, I, I'm actually calling a uh, UIC baseball game tonight. Really? Today? Yeah, they're taking on the Northwestern Wildcats. Wow. Yep. Now I'm even more jealous. Hey, bada, 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 sawing, bada. Very, very nice. At UIC Field? At, yeah, at Les Miller Field on the campus of UIC. Nice. Yep. Yeah, so I'm going to be doing that. The, the baseball team has already played what uh, they've played... Almost 19 games wow. now. So, yeah. I mean, this Most of it out of town, I'm Most assuming. of it out of town. They've only played about three home games, mm-hmm. four home games. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's we're, we're getting into it now. And, uh, you know, it'll be it'll be a nice night. And uh, I, I just, you know, having seen a little college baseball now, I'm, it's getting the juices flowing. I'm like, let's go. Let's get the major leaguers out there. Let's get my Ryan Terrio leading off for the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Here we go. I'm ready to go. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, my excitement level for baseball is as high as ever. All right. No question about a week from today. Opening day for baseball. Cubs and Sox, no uh, big trades while it was gone, Jordan. Nothing major. By the way, the rosters, I think, for all the major league teams, I think, will be set as of today. So, some of the guys that uh, maybe just make the cut are going to make the major league rosters 
for the first time, always a great thrill, and I'm sure there'll be some disappointed uh, veterans maybe that get sent down and surprise some young players who thought maybe they had a shot at making the major league team, and they don't quite get it. As we all know, the players will switch back and forth. I know the Cubs have a player who was destined for the minor leagues, but he performed so well, basically, in the spring training. Then Lou Pinella says this guy will be part of the team, and not only part of the team, but he's going to play. His young name is Tyler Colvin, so he's an example of the type of guys. You have a great spring, you can earn your way into a major league roster. Not easy, but it can be done. The last I checked, Colvin was hitting four sixty eight yeah. in spring training. He's been unbelievable. And so it'll be nice for him. I know he's gained 25 pounds, mm-hmm. so he's a little bit bigger than Cub fans remember him last Actually, year. Actually, he didn't gain it. He just borrowed it from Cub pitcher Carlos Zambrano. Well, I hope that's the case. Yeah, it was because, just an exchange. Yeah, well, I mean, but it's 25 pounds of muscle. I think if he took oh. 25 pounds from Zambrano, it would have been out of his gut. Never mind. Yeah, so <laughs> Colvin really looks good. I mean, he looks he looks a lot bigger than I remember seeing him, at least mm-hmm. from seeing the clips on television. And, and I mean... I, as excited as I am about the baseball season, I feel like it could go. I, I really wouldn't be surprised if the Cubs won 90 games and were good, or if they won 75 games and were bad. I, re, I really don't. I think that there's so many things that have to go right that if it all goes right, they could be really good. But I could also see a lot of those things that are question marks all going south, and we all are disappointed with the 75. Which winner. you could basically say for how many teams are there? 32. You can't say for all 32 teams. There are some teams, teams that are going to be 30. Yeah. But I would say for 75% of the teams, you could probably make that same statement. You might. And yeah. if you're being perfectly objective with the Chicago Cubs, and I, I root for both Cubs and Sox, probably a little bit more of the Cubs, perfectly objective. If you look at all things considered, they're a lot closer to the 75-win scenario than they are to the 90. Yeah, I, I, I mean, my official prediction for the season right now is 84 wins. But that's being a little bit optimistic. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that by the law of averages, that some of the things that went south last year have to be better. Mm-hmm. I would guess that there are a lot of problems. I think their bullpen is going to be brutal. I think their starting pitching could be really good, could be really bad. I think that their lineup, same sort of thing, could be really good, could be really bad. But right now, they won 83 last year with all the problems they had. Mm-hmm. So I say 84 this year. Uh, well, this show uh, is winding up, and it could have been really, really good. It could have been really, really bad. There's Probably a lot of ways. towards the latter. Take it easy. Jordan Burnfield and the coach. We appreciate JB for sitting in. David Thank Olson, you. great job. We got to get out of here. We'll do it at 10 o'clock tomorrow. I'll be pitching batting practice. 4 o'clock today. Anybody wants to join me? Westbrook Field in Glenview. So a rotator cuff tomorrow then? I'll work it out.